Hey everyone, it's Joe here, and uh, we had quite the Sunday this last week. Uh, we gathered outside, there was chance of rain. Uh, we were kind of hoping it would, would start a little later than it did. So about 20, maybe 30 of us ended up at outdoor worship, and it starts sprinkling. And we decided to go ahead and do worship anyways, but we cut it short, and I gave kind of a summary of the sermon. And we tried to capture that on audio, and it didn't work because, uh, you know, it's raining, and I knock over the mic, and all the things that can happen in the midst of all of that. So I am going to share the sermon uh, now. It's Tuesday morning. Uh, I'm going to record it uh, for the podcast. And also, because we didn't have a chance for to do announcements, I want to share a couple of really important announcements. First off, we uh, we are officially hiring a couple of part-time positions. Um, these were positions that we were about to post right before uh, COVID hit. And of course, all of that was put on hold. But now as we look towards 2021, uh, we decided it was time to get those back out and uh, see if we can get some applicants and uh, hopefully find the right people. So the two positions are part-time, and uh, one is for a City Kids director, someone to help us think through City Kids. Uh, right now, they'd be doing a lot of stuff online, and then in the future, helping us move towards uh, indoor uh, City Kids uh, ministry again, and then ultimately doing uh, traditional City Kids ministry on Sunday morning and throughout the week. Uh, post-COVID. And so it's kind of a, a unique position where we get to start in the world that we are now and hopefully be with us as we transition back to uh, our new normal. The other position is an admin position, part-time, uh, really kind of helping us focus on numbers and details and communication, uh, sending out reminders, uh, tracking some of our finances, uh, keeping track of meetings and dates, and uh, accomplishing other tasks that are administrative. So those are two part-time positions. You can find both of those on our website, centralcity.co slash news. The other thing that we have is, uh, I know that many uh, there's been many new people who've joined us during this season. Oh, what a season to, to kind of get connected to a church. Uh, so we have been trying to figure out ways to help you uh, get plugged in, and there are ways that you can serve. And as we know, as followers of Christ, serving is one of the best ways we can build community. It's one of the most practical ways we can meet people, but it's also one of the best ways we can give back and participate in a community. So there are a number of different ways that you can serve and a number of different teams you can serve on, many of which uh, meet online. And there's a complete list that we've compiled um, to kind of help you think through that. So you can go to our website and find it, whether you're interested in media, worship, uh, our mental health fund, our immigration fund, whether you're interested in um, Little Bottoms Free Store or... Uh, uh, eventually greeting as we kind of figure out in-person worship or first impressions, uh, even a team that's going to help us once we allow people to worship inside, kind of caring for sanitation and making sure things are kept clean and tidy uh, and, and above uh, above uh, the, the what's recommended in regards to keeping us safe. So those are some teams. You can find those on our website as well, centralcity.co slash news. If you go to centralcity.co, you can also scroll down and see them listed amongst the news things. The last one I have is we are putting together these uh, really cool Advent kits. And if you haven't signed up for one yet, I encourage you to do that. You're going to get a, a, a set of candles, uh, Advent candles. You're going to get a candle holder and uh, daily devotions and Advent readings that you can use in partnership with the candles as a way to really kind of bring worship into your home this winter, bring light into your home and all that it represents. So I encourage you, if you haven't signed up for one, to sign up for one. The deadline for getting one is coming up uh, on October 27th, so be sure to do that. All right, with that, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into our sermon. So will you pray with me?
God, we uh, come before you and we give you thanks for all that you do in and through us. Uh, I lift up especially each person who's listening right now, that your spirit would meet them wherever they are, whether that's uh, on a walk with headphones or in a car driving, wherever they find themselves, that your spirit would meet them there, remind them of your great love, and that you would continue to strengthen and perfect us in love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're in a series right now walking through Genesis, and we're currently looking at the, the dysfunctional family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his children. And so today we're going to look at uh, Jacob and his twin brother, Esau. So when the wife of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, uh, becomes pregnant, and when the wife of Isaac uh, becomes pregnant, she feels something happening inside of her, something about this pregnancy uh, that she's in the midst of doesn't feel right. And so in Genesis 25, verse 22, she cries out to God. She says, God, what is going on here? And God answers. God says, you are pregnant with twins, which is, you know, shocking anytime you hear that you're having twins. That itself would be the announcement. In any other situation, you're pregnant, you're like, something's different about this. And and God's like, you're, you know, or the doctor says, you're going to be, you know, you're going to have twins. Like, that would be enough. You could go home and feel like you've gotten enough of an announcement. But then God continues and God says this. God says that these twins aren't going to get along. That someday they will grow into two different nations that don't get along. And ultimately, one of these sons and his nation will be stronger than the other. And in Genesis 25, 23, God says to this mother of twins, she, God says, the older will serve the younger. Genesis 25, 23. This mother's pregnant, and this is what God has to say with the kids she's going to bear. The, the firstborn is not going to be what you expect in a firstborn, especially in this culture. He won't be the most powerful or the strongest or the greatest. The firstborn in his future nation will be weaker and smaller and will serve the one who comes second to the secondborn. It's a, it's a great reversal of the, the accepted norms of this time. The firstborn is supposed to have that kind of honor, but not here. What a prophecy to receive as a mother of twins. You're having twins, also they're not going to get along, and oh, the younger is going to be greater than the older. So she hears these words and she raises the children with this in mind and she coaches the younger to trick and steal and manipulate his way to the top. It was really her idea that for her younger twin, uh, Jacob, to dress up like his brother and go to his dad when his dad was old and had, had failing sight. He goes pretending to be his older brother and under that pretense is blessed by his father. And here his father says this, thinking that he's saying it to Esau, says this to Jacob and the blessing he gets in Genesis 27, 29, uh, says, Many, may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. He blesses his son saying, I want you to be ruler over your brothers and their families. Everyone will bow down to you, my son. If you're looking for a quick and easy way to build a dysfunctional family, step one, make one sibling be a servant of the other. Now, this is the blessing that he thinks he's giving to his oldest son. Later, Isaac blesses Jacob, knowing that it's Jacob. As Jacob is leaving, Isaac gives him uh, the real blessing. And in that blessing, he doesn't use this kind of servant language. It's more in that blessing, the passing on of Abraham's blessing to him. Uh, but still, the words have been spoken. 
Now, everyone assumes one child is going to serve the other. One child will rule over the other. Like this has been their whole childhood is defined by this conflict of one being Lord and one being servant. And they have been competing their whole lives on which is going to be Lord and which is going to be servant. And into the competition gets so heated that Esau does this. In Genesis 27, verse 41, it says, Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing of his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. As soon as dad is dead and we've properly mourned him, I'm going to kill Jacob. Like, I'll wait for dad to pass, but once he's gone, I'm going to take him out. So Jacob flees, and he looked, and we looked at the story last week. Um, he meets God along the way, but uh, and it's a really kind of a cool story about Jacob's ladder. But, but after that, he ends up in a foreign land where he gains two wives and becomes extremely wealthy. And he becomes so wealthy that his extended family, his in-laws, get mad at him and accuse him of things. And he kind of has to like figure out how to get out of that difficult situation. So he talks to his two wives, who are also sisters, hashtag dysfunction, and they agree to leave and go back to their family. This is years and years after he ran from his brother. And since then, they haven't talked and they haven't seen each other. And this feud between them is sat unresolved, which is the worst thing to happen to a feud. But now Jacob has to face his brother. If he's going to move back home with his livestock and his family, basically a small tribe of hundreds of people, he's going to have to face his family. He's going to have to face his brother. And we ask ourselves as we're reading this story, will he do as has been said of him? Will he rule over his brother? Will his older brother serve him? Will his older brother bow down to him like his blessings suggest? That's how the story's been set up so far. That's what's been said of Jacob. Jacob will rule over Esau. Jacob will overpower Esau. Jacob will force Esau and his family to be a servant. So what will happen when they meet? Well, let's see. Genesis 32 verse 3 says this. So Jacob's on his way home. And here's what he does. Genesis 32, 3. So Jacob sent messengers ahead of him and to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So he sends some messages, uh, messengers ahead of him, and he's terrified of his brother. He's not going to face him without, you know, first paving the way. So he sends people ahead. So his messengers go and come back, and here's what they say. Jump to verse 6. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We... We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. This is Jacob's worst nightmare. There's only one reason to come with 400 men. This means war. That's what this means. Esau isn't going to submit to his brother without a fight, which was, which was the blessing he got from his father, right? His, his dad uh, said as much as Genesis 27, moments after he realized that, uh, that he'd been tricked by Jacob, uh, his father, Isaac, talks to Esau and gives Esau a blessing. And, and in that blessing, Esau says to Esau, he says, you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. So in other words, Everything's been set up for a battle. One's going to serve the other, but eventually Esau's going to knock the foot that steps on his neck and be free. He will fight. And now he's coming to face Jacob with 400 men. This whole story is set up for a fight. And I'm going to, and I'm going to go to war. Uh, now, I'm going to warn you, we're, we're only looking at half the story this week. And, and we'll finish the second half next week. So we won't actually see what Esau does with his 400 men until next week, unless you read ahead. But today, I wanna to look at how Jacob responds to this information. We know that Jacob feels threatened. We'll see that in the text. He feels threatened by someone who's already promised to kill him. 
and whose dad said he would go out fighting and, and someone who is coming with men enough to kill everyone. Jacob feels threatened. And that's what I want to talk about today, because even though few of us have ever been threatened with war, we have felt threatened. Once I was asked to come uh, engage in a conversation with a small group that was having some conflict around some controversial topics uh, and discussing one controversial topic in particular, a member of that group happened to disagree with me and the stance that our church holds on the issue, which is nuanced and messy. Uh, so, but they had disagreed with it so much, but by the end of the night, I was essentially compared to the devil. Uh, it, was, I was, it was said that I was an agent of Satan. Well, I don't know if you've ever been called an agent of Satan before, but when that happens, uh, it's one place in my life where I felt deeply threatened. And my response uh, was, was to argue or to, to defend myself, and, and I had to hold back those feelings. That's how I wanted to respond, was to, to, to defend, to, to fight or flight. And I can't say I did a good job. I tried to stay calm, but I, I don't feel like I handled the conflict as, as well as I could, and I have some regrets from that evening and, and how well I handled it. But, 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 but I actually could have learned a lot from Jacob. Because Jacob, even though he is a lying, stealing, cheating you know, uh, guy, in this one story, he provides us an amazing example of what it means to respond in a healthy way when you feel threatened. Here's what Jacob does when he feels threatened by his brother. Verse 7. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Jacob's first response isn't to show his might by forming a larger group. He he does the opposite. He splits his group with with the idea that at least half of his small nation tribe will survive this encounter. He's more interested in protecting his people than flaunting his power. And I think that's really important for us to think about because when I feel threatened, what I want to do is gather all the power I can, all the people who might agree with me, bring them to my side, and stand up to the threat. But Jacob shows us that actually the first step isn't standing up to the threat. Step one to responding to threats is we have to seek to protect, not destroy. Jacob is ultimately more concerned with those in his care than he is with the person he feels threatened by. When we feel threatened, we might want to fight back, but in reality, it's wise to stop and think about those who might be impacted by our fight. And that's worth noting. He's more concerned with protecting those in his care as best he can than attacking those who are threatening him. That's an attitude shift that requires a change of perspective. Now, our tendency, my tendency would be to, you know, get to posture myself, to gather as many people as possible. Not Jacob. He says, let's do what we can to protect as many people as possible. Let's separate our group. We'll seem smaller, but at least half of us will be sure to get away. We might not be as strong and we might not be as threatening, but at least half of us will be safe. Step one, think about those you're called to protect and care for as opposed to those you feel threatened by. Uh, Next verse, verse 9, he goes on. Then Jacob prayed. So step one, seek to protect, not destroy. Step two, stop and pray. When he feels threatened, he prays. It sounds obvious, and it may be something you expect from a pastor, but but it's actually really difficult to do. In a moment of fear, in a moment where you feel threatened, to stop and center yourself and pray, that's hard. 
And here's what he prays. He says this to God. He says, oh, God of my father, Jacob, God of my father, Isaac, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. He asks for God to protect him, and he's honest about his fears. But even more specifically, he prays. God help, um, his prayer helps him focus on those who are most vulnerable amongst him, the women and the children. He's worried and afraid of what might happen to them. It goes back to the idea of seeking to protect, not destroy. When he pray, when we pray and we think and we center ourselves and we stop and we, we pause, it can help us figure out what's most important. Jacob isn't pleading for his own life. He's pleading for someone else's. You see, when we feel threatened, our tendency, my tendency is to be concerned for myself. When I, but when I stop and pray and I talk to God and I quiet myself, I can turn that concern to others. And when I do, it changes everything. That's where Jacob is at. His heart is for the vulnerable. He's not hungry for power or violence or anything other than protecting the lives of those in his care. And because of that, here's what he does. Verse 13. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels and their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. So Jacob puts together this like really pretty large gift basket uh, for his brother. It's, it's a lot of cattle. This translates in our culture to be a whole lot of money. And it's a gift. It's a peace offering. You see, I think Jacob knows that Esau's mad at him because he stole his inheritance and his blessing. So in order to protect those he loves and to avoid a war, he has to make that right. So he tries to make it right. He, he sends his brother hundreds of heads of cattle. So step one, protect, not destroy. Step two, pray. And step three, take responsibility for your part in the conflict. You see, this goes, this conflict between Esau and Jacob goes back to, it's not just, Esau's mad at Jacob for good reason. Jacob lied, stole something that was him. And so he knows that in order for there to be reconciliation, he has to make that right. And he sends this gift as a, as a symbol of changed behavior. If, you've, if you're in a situation where there's, you feel threatened, you do have to ask the question, you know, what, am I responsible for some of this conflict? If, if you've done something wrong that's contributed to the conflict, you need to name it, address it, and make it right. Jacob is 100% did something wrong that caused this tension, and he seeks to set it right. By sending this gift, he's owning his part of the conflict. He's basically giving Esau back the blessing he stole. Now, if you're in a dysfunctional family, it's possible that you're under attack or you feel threatened, and you haven't done anything to deserve it. And for you, it might come down to doing the even harder work of realizing that it's not your fault. But if you're in a situation where you did play a part, you need to own that part. You can't own what others have done. That's their job. But you can and you should own your part. And that's what Jacob does. And that's the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. We can forgive people regardless of what they do or whether they change. But reconciliation, where you enter into a relationship with that person again, is usually only possible when there's changed behavior. Jacob is exhibiting changed behavior making reconciliation possible. Instead of stealing, he's giving. And that is a huge shift for Jacob. So going on, verse 16, here's what he does next. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. 
He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau meets you and asks, who do you belong to and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent by my Lord uh, to my Lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. This is where the story gets interesting for me. I want to look specifically at verse uh, 18. From here on and in the coming chapters, Jacob refers to Esau five times as Lord and himself as servant, which is crazy. According to all the blessings that Jacob has received, he should be the one ruling Esau, right? He's supposed to be the stronger one. He's supposed to be the one his brothers bow down to. He, but here he is telling his servants very clearly. He says, when you talk to my brother, refer to me as servant and refer to him as master. He takes the position of power, his blessing granted him, and he steps down from that place and he takes a place of humility. So in feeling threatened, one, protect, not destroy, two, pray, three, own your part of the conflict and make it right, and four, humble yourself. Recognize your power and your privilege and surrender it for the sake of the relationship. Jacob takes the status of a servant. Jacob had to recognize that All that was said about him, how he was going to be great and how his older brother would serve him, how his brothers would bow down to him, how he had to own the privilege and power he had over his brother, according to his family and even according to God. And he had to do something to step down from that pedestal. If you're in a place of conflict, you need to ask yourself, do I have power over the person who I'm in conflict with that might threaten the chances of reconciliation? Maybe it's because you're male and they're female in a world that's still bent towards men or or you're white and they are black in a world bent towards whiteness or maybe you're older brother or you're the parent or you're the boss or you're wealthier than somebody or more influential or you're a resident and they aren't and you're a member of the group and they aren't or you've been there for years and they're passing through and maybe you're just familiar with the world in which you're navigated and they're a stranger. If you are in a place of power or privilege, privilege over someone real or even just perceived and you are in conflict with them, the last and final step towards reconciliation is stepping down from that power. Humble yourself. We don't see any example of this better than God. God was at conflict with all of humanity. And God was clearly better and stronger and greater and wiser and rightly so. Not not like us where often our power and privilege isn't even earned or deserved. God's was 100% deserved. And yet in God's great act towards making things right with us, God steps down. God takes the role of a servant. Where we read in the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Philippians, and I quote, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but in the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Step one, seek to protect, not destroy. Step two, stop and pray. Step three, own your part in this and do what you have to to make it right. And step four, if you're in a place of power and privilege, follow Jacob and Jesus' example. Step off the pedestal. Take a role of a servant. Humble yourself. That's what Jacob did. Jacob had a lot of wealth at this point. He had a blossoming tribe and 
God's assurance that his tribe would become a great nation. He had his mom's blessing. He had his dad's blessing. He had God's blessing. In the chapters we skipped, we learned that Jacob's wealth was because God's blessing was on him, that God favored him. But none of that really made Jacob great. None of that made Jacob greater than his brother. None of those things did. I think that it's in this moment. When he first concerns himself with those in his care, when he stops to pray, when he turns his heart towards the vulnerable, when he owns his responsibility and leans into generosity instead of stealing, he gives. When he chooses the lower place and the title of the servant over the title of the master, it's in that moment that he actually becomes the greater. Or how Jesus explained it in Matthew 20, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your servant. For as early as the time of Jacob, we are given glimpses into the heart of God. And for God, the way up is down. The way of greatness is service. So we give and we serve and we care and we protect. We turn our hearts to the vulnerable. We turn our hearts towards God. And that's when we become great. So what happens between Jacob and his brother? What happens when they face off with those 400 fighting men? Uh, How is this gift going to be received and how will it change the story? Well, we're going to look at that next week. So I hope you'll come and join us uh, either outside if the weather permits or here in the podcast. Uh, So with that, let's pray. God, we give you thanks for Jacob that you can take somebody who's a lying, cheating, stealing, dysfunctional family and give us a model of what it looks like to seek reconciliation. What it looks like to respond in a healthy way when we feel threatened. What it looks like to stop and to pray and to put our hearts towards things that matter. To, to be generous and to be humble. We give you thanks for that. Help us, Lord, uh, all of us who are in our own ways, lying, stealing, cheating, sometimes imperfect people. Give us moments where we get it right. Show us the way. Help us become more perfect in love. In your name we pray. Amen.